Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Joining me today is Brigadier General Brad Pyburn, who leads the 16th Air Force. The 16th Air Force is responsible for all Air Force networks for warfighting and is responsible for all the Air Force's offensive and defensive cyber operations. This includes intelligence gathering and analysis, surveillance, reconnaissance, and information warfare and electronic warfare. In this interview, Pyburn will talk about how intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance are critically important to Air Force cyber operations. According to Pyburn, there is not a single mission at the Air Force that does not rely on the IT services that the 16th Air Force provides. Pyburn will also discuss his top three concerns in the cyber warfare environment right now and the secret sauce for incorporating cyber into DOD-wide initiatives, such as Joint All-Domain Command and Control, or JADC2. To start off our conversation today, General Pyburn, can you describe the role of the 16th Air Force within the Department of the Air Force and U.S. Cybercom with regard to cyber operations? Yeah, absolutely. So, it, so Kate, it's, it's, it's important, too, to take just a little bit of a step back and realize it, even though the 16th Air Force has been in existence now since 2019, it really comes from uh, two previous organizations with some pretty deep history, 24th Air Force, which did cyberspace operations, and then 25th Air Force, which was intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. And the fusion of those two organizations gave us really unique opportunities and capabilities to, to bring those two things together in a powerful way that we hadn't, hadn't done before, frankly. And so under 16th Air Force, my boss, uh, Lieutenant General Hawk, wears a number of hats, has a number of responsibilities. And, and again, the integration of those is the power, but it's important to understand what those are individually. So the first part is that we are the service cryptologic component. And, and with that responsibility, we are responsible to the director of the National Security Agency as the Air Force's sole authority for all the cryptologic activities that would happen, uh, and they support warfighting operations around the world and national-level operations. The other, other part of our responsibility is as a component-numbered Air Force. And in the Air Force, we typically present capabilities and, and, and warfighters to combatant commands through numbered Air Forces. And so as a component-numbered Air Force in Air Combat Command, that's our major command, we're responsible to organize, train, and equip, and present those forces to U.S. Cyber Command. And then we have some other unique things that we do, which one of them is we're responsible for all the Air Force networks. So the operations, the security, and the presentation of all the networks that the Air Force uses to do warfighting and integrate into all the different combatant commands is the responsibility of, of this numbered Air Force, 16th Air Force. And then, as you mentioned, Cyber Command, we're also Air Force's cyber. So we are the Air Force present, presented force to U.S. Cyber Command for both offensive and defensive cyber operations. And in that role, we have a unique moniker or a unique responsibility. It's called a Joint Force Headquarters Cyber. So in, so in Cyber Command's responsibilities, they, they defend the nation, they support combatant commands, and they operate and defend DOD networks. And under that support to combatant commands, they designated each service as a joint force headquarters. And as the joint force headquarters Air Force, we are aligned to support U.S. European Command, U.S. Space Command, and U.S. Strategic Command. And in that responsibility, we, we do operational planning and integration 
of all kinds of cyber capabilities and missions. So, so broadly, that's, that's 16th Air Force in a nutshell. How does the 16th Air Force advise JADC2 on cyber matters? So I would start with, you know, in our responsibility to, to operate, defend, secure Air Force networks and capabilities, the definition of that includes weapon systems. And so I would go to the weapon systems, and if you think about, you know, JADC2, so Joint All Domain Command and Control, the idea behind that is this ability to pair a sensor with a shooter, with a command and control element to make sure that we can we can operate very quickly in an agile manner, and we can always be faster than our adversaries. And so if you think about that, and you think about 16th Air Force's responsibility to run those networks that support all that connected, basically it's the fabric of JADC2, uh, the 16th Air Force responsibility there. But that's not a permissive environment. And so our adversaries are obviously gonna seek to take away those strengths that we have, and they know that we rely on a network. And they also know that we rely on the data and that the data has got to get to the right decision maker from a sensor to a shooter or from, you know, from a command and control node to be able to execute a mission. So our responsibility, not just to provide the fabric to connect all those weapon systems, but also to secure the data as it's, it's bouncing around all those weapon systems is critically important. And so that's just in operations. But if you think about this idea of how do we build a future uh, war fighting fabric that's agile and fast, that does all these things, you know, the, the advice and the counsel that we can give to our, to our Air Combat Command and our acquisition professionals at Headquarters Air Force to help shape the future to get it right based on what we're learning each and every day. Uh, and the last thing I would say is the data piece. I can't stress the importance of data. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, throughout the podcast today. But, you know, the, the traditional way of looking at cybersecurity is, is pretty much a castle moat analogy and defend the walls, defend the boundaries, but we have to look at it differently, and that is it's all about the data. And where is your data? Do you understand where your data is, what networks it's traversing? Is it encrypted? Is it protected? You know, can you secure it, and can you ensure its confidentiality, integrity, and availability so that you can make the right decision at the right time? So I think from a 16th Air Force perspective, we have to make sure what we have today operates in the most effective, effective efficient, and secure manner. But then our ability and our, our responsibility, frankly, to advise and to shape you know, the future is really important too. Can you discuss the 16th Air Force's primary mission areas such as information warfare, electronic warfare, ISR, and information operations, and how these pieces inform the puzzle of the modern cyber landscape? Yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. I can take you back as well. My, my previous position, I was, a, I was at Headquarters Air Force as we were thinking through, you know, what, what really... How do we want to codify information warfare? And this was a 16th Air Force was standing up. And, you know, it's important because you mentioned the components of what we call information warfare and to understand those unique capabilities that, that are brought to bear. And I would start with ISR. And so what we see here in 16th Air Force is the criticality of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance to, to yield what we call unique insights that we have against our adversaries that, frankly, they may, they may not even know in some cases, but that's so powerful because we typically have thought about ISR as something we present to others in other mission areas. What we're really seeing inside the information warfare moniker is the unique abilities that 16th Air Force has to leverage its authorities, to leverage its capabilities, to get those unique insights that help us both 
whether it's information operations or cyber operations, to really have a powerful and meaningful impact. And then I would talk a little about cyber and, and, and that, that ISR that fuels our ability to defend our critical warfighting assets and data and networks and systems in and through cyberspace operations is really important. And then when you think about our responsibilities to support the combatant commands under our Joint Force Headquarters role, obviously that ISR piece is critically important. And the partnership there is so powerful. That would be the first part of that integration inside what we call information warfare is ISR and cyber. Such a critical integration and synchronization between those two. It is, it is day in and day out, and we see a huge benefit from that. Uh, the next piece I would talk about is information operations. And what we're learning, what we're seeing is these things don't exist in a vacuum, right? There's an information environment, a lot of uh, activity in the information environment each and every day, and, and our ability to use publicly available sources to understand what that looks like, to marry that up with our unique insights inside our intelligence apparatus to help us guide our cyber operations. But frankly, sometimes information is the lead effort, if you will. And so how do we take the, the proper message and get it in the proper venue under the proper authorities so they can have the most meaningful impact. And then you, you mentioned electronic warfare. And this is a piece, and, and, and I could quote many of our leaders, uh, you know, General Kelly or Combat Command would talk about it. I mean, the, the spectrum is so critically important to warfighting and, and the ability for us to have, um, you know, military superiority in the spectrum is so important. It's something that, you know, frankly, we've taken for granted for many years. And now when we take a look at our pacing threat, we take a look at our national defense strategy, national security strategy, those kinds of things, the spectrum is so, so, so important moving forward. And then the last one I'll mention, and this is something a lot of folks don't think about when we talk about 16th Air Force, but we actually have a weather wing. And so they're responsible to do uh, weather operations globally. They inform mission planning. They, inf they inform decision makers. It's a really, really cool, really important mission. And when you think about it, you know, lots of operations are shaped by weather. We typically look at it through the blue lens, you know, the friendly force lens. But frankly, if you understand what the weather is doing to your adversary and how they have to change their, their tactics and techniques and procedures to respond to the weather, and if you understand what that looks like, that is a powerful thing. And you marry that up with our, our intelligence and everything else I just described, that is information warfare. So hopefully you kind of have a sense of all these great capabilities within 16th Air Force. And because of this, this, this organization and the way we fuse these authorities, we can bring these things together in a powerful way. Frankly, before they weren't, they were very much, I hate to use the word siloed, but they were certainly independent actions. Now there's a lot more integration and synchronization between these mission areas. Sure. Uh, so how does the 16th Air Force's work in these areas inform offensive and defensive cyber strategies throughout DOD, kind of building on that integration piece? Yeah, so it's so we're doing a lot of work with uh, U.S. Cyber Command and Joint Force Headquarters Doden with you know DoD Information Networks, uh, as they took a look they take a look broadly at defending all of our DoD networks and weapon systems and capabilities, um, and so we've done a lot of work within the family to take a look at you know what are our priorities. Uh, what, what would the adversary seek to achieve against us? And there's a multitude of adversaries, right? Everything from a nation state actor all the way down to it can be, you know, a criminal actor or frankly, teenagers in their basement. 
And that's that's the, the crazy part about the cyberspace domain is that the cost of entry is very low and the ability to have an asymmetric Im impact is very high. And so we've taken a look at that. And, and one of the things that we've been doing is uh, taking a look at our weapon systems ecosystem. So, so we'll pick a weapon system and we'll take a look at the traditional things. We think about a platform and all the data and everything that wraps around it so that they can launch that platform and they can execute a mission. And we want to keep it safe and secure in cyberspace so that they can do the mission it's been called upon to do. But when you really start to take a look at that broader ecosystem, you think about a program office that's responsible for sustainment. You think about, you know, a clear defense contractor that's responsible to help us build this thing and sustain it as well. And then you think about the weapon system uh, as it's deployed in execution, you know, there's maintenance activities that are happening. Uh, this, so there's this whole ecosystem. And so what we've been doing is mapping those out and really connecting the dots to understand where the data is going, uh, how we can best uh, support it from a cybersecurity service provider perspective, and then how Doden can, uh, Joint Force Headquarters Doden can be responsive and a good partner with us as they take a look at the global DOD networks and to make sure we meet Cyber Command's uh, responsibility there. So there's one example of kind of the, the kinds of things that we're doing without giving too much detail, but I would also say we're also looking at data. And, and this is really across weapon systems, across all of our mission system. Where's the data? Where is it resident? Uh, how's it being exposed? That so we, can, we can ensure only the right people have access to the data, that the data is secure, and that it's available to decision makers so that we can execute our critical missions. So what kinds of technologies and strategies or conditions help the 16th Air Force predict and influence adversarial cyber behavior? Yes, yeah, so I'll start with something I said earlier, which is, you know, when we created 16th Air Force and this ability to have, uh, you know, responsibility and oversight for the, for the intelligence, surveillance, surveillance and reconnaissance enterprise was really important. So those unique insights that we're able to, to, to glean are really important. There's a lot of great information, though, that's publicly available. And our ability to understand just what's available out there across the globe that's just publicly available, right? What does that look like? We have our unique insights and capabilities inside of ISR, but there's a lot of data. And with all that data, how do you get to a place where you can start to understand and focus on only what gray matter needs to look at. So what I mean by that is we can't use manual processes to sift through this, this just mountain of data that's at our, 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 our you know, fingertips. So the, the ways in which we can automate uh, our you know, understanding of that data, teeing up unique opportunities and things that a, that, a, that a human needs to look at, I think are really important. So when you talk about you know, how do, how do we get to a point where we understand what our adversary is doing? It's fusing and understanding from a multitude of data feeds, you know, what's going on and, and using automation. And, you know, I hate to use the buzzword artificial intelligence, but certainly I would call it, I would call it uh, you know, expert systems or support systems that aid human decision making would be really important. And then how do you censor all these critical capabilities, so the data is actually flowing. You know, you know, I, I actually made an assumption in our talk today, which is we have all this data just, you know, available anytime we want it. Frankly, we got to make sure we have a very effective sensor strategy across all of our weapon systems and all of our our, our, our networks, so we we can sense and see activity, 
we can bring that back to a big data platform and then we can have automation that takes a look at that data to help us basically sort and sift through it to understand what are the critical pieces that we really need to be focused on. And then when we're really cooking with gas, we can also have automated defensive fires, I call them, but basically automated defensive capabilities that understand from the data the kinds of activities the adversary's taken. And some of these things are maybe low-hanging fruit that we can just mitigate through automated means. Then you really are saving your your human brain power, you know, your most trusted and your most, you know, high demand, low uh, low density force for those things that only a human can solve. I mean, that's really where we need to go. I'd like to circle back to something you mentioned earlier about weather and environmental factors. What kind of impact do these have on the information warfare mission? Could you elaborate on that a little bit more and whether or not this has a tangential impact on federal cybersecurity as a whole? Well, that's an interesting question. So I, I could talk, I can certainly talk about weather and environmental factors impacting technology. I mean, that, that's a pretty straightforward answer, right? I mean, if you think about weather and how it might impact sensors, how it may impact uh, the ability to transmit data, depending on the means you're transmitting data, those kinds of things. I mean, some of those things are kind of obvious. Environmental factors, that's, that's an that's a interesting one because I guess it depends on how you define environmental factors as it relates to cybersecurity. Here's one I'll throw at you, which is a little bit different, which is, you know, culture. How about that? And the reason I bring up culture is every organization has a culture. And I'm, a, I'm an amateur student of, 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 uh, of human endeavor, and I like to watch people. And I watch people say what their culture is, and I watch what they do. Me, culture is what you do. And, and I think cybersecurity is most impacted by far by the culture of an organization. Is everybody, does everybody believe they have a responsibility to play a part in cybersecurity or not? Uh, does everybody believe that they're a critical sensor and indicator of cyber threats? And as you know, I mean, typically the, 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 uh, the easiest and most successful target in the cybersecurity, or, or I'm sorry, in, in, in an adversary cyber activity would be the human. We're the weakest link. You know, we literally will click on the funny picture of the dog or the link in the email and we, you know, inject malware into our system. And so getting everybody on the team to believe it's critical to the mission. I mean, it's important and, it, and it's, it's, there's an imperative there to take these things seriously. So maybe not an environmental factor, but certainly a culture factor, I think, are really, really important. I don't know if that's where you wanted the question to go, but when I think about environmental factors or, or just factors in, impacting cybersecurity, that's what I'm talking about. And, and, and I would also like to finish by saying the last thing I would advocate for is more, you know, computer-based training to get people to understand. I think this is has to be ingrained in our DNA. And, and as we bring on this current and next generation into our workforce, they are operating in a world that, frankly, I didn't operate in. I joined the Air Force over 30 years ago, completely different environment. The environment they, they operate in, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, uh, all the different activities on a smartphone they have at their fingertips. What are their beliefs and understandings of cybersecurity and information protection, information security? I mean, their profile and their 
their their signature, I'll call it, their operational security in the environment, typically they don't think about that. In fact, it's the opposite. Their presence and their visibility is really important in the social media world, where in the in the Department of Defense, we may not want to be visible given the missions that we execute. So I think those are the kind of factors, you know, how do how do you how do you integrate and train and prepare the generation that that really enjoys all this great technology and presence on the internet to understand that hey we may want to manage our presence and signature given some of the missions that we execute yeah i love what you said about culture and the impact that it has on your overall cyber posture i feel like that's something that uh, federal agencies and especially DOD is really honing in on. Um, we had a Cyberscape ID identity event last week, and we had some folks from DOD speak um, from the Department of the Navy, Jane Rathman, uh, CTO, and uh, Angelica Faniff, this is over Army Software Factory, and they both talked a lot about the impact of culture on cybersecurity. Yeah, it's it, it's so important. I mean, we typically, you know, we we like to we're technologists, right, or we're engineers. We like to talk about the software or the technology and all the great things it can do for you. But if you look at the most effective adversary cyber activities, it's the most simple thing. They get you to click on a button that bypasses all that great security stack because the systems think you want to do it. You want to go to that website. You want to download that software. And it's just understanding, you, know, you want to make yourself a hard target. And, and, and I've, I've come to the realization, right, when you do business on the internet, you just assume some level of risk, right? Whether it's banking, you know, insurance, whatever. I'll be honest, I, I did my taxes this year on my iPhone, okay, using a software product. And I've done it for probably about the last six or seven years. And there's a lot of great security mechanisms in there. But, you know, when I get an email, that looks a little suspicious that claims to be from my tax software just because I happen to have the app open. Do I click on the link in the email or do I just delete that and go right back to my app and put my credentials in and make sure it's legit? You know, just always be a little suspicious. Always assume you're a target and then and make yourself a hard target. I, I think if people would just think about it that way and then they, they would think about their part they play in the bigger the bigger ecosystem of their company or their organization and how important it is. You know, I and, and I think one of the challenges I think we have is is we try to solve this with training, and the training is you know I'll just it's not very it's not inspired it's not very creative sometimes it's important that we do this training, but but it's not it's certainly not done in a way that stresses the operational imperative, and I would also say it's important on us as leaders right I'll point to myself in the hall of mirrors here it's important that that I stress this and how important it is to me in my daily operations so that I, I can expect everybody across our team to take the same stance. You know, you can't say it's important at the top and then turn around five minutes later and, and you're not even thinking about it anymore. It's got to be constant. And I've seen examples out in industry of some amazing companies where top down, left and right, it is baked into their DNA. And I've seen some samples where, you know, maybe at the top they say it's important, but if you actually look down in the machinery of the company or the organization, it's got very little funding or it's very little attention or very little priority. And so then if you do that, how can you expect the culture of your organization to really embrace cybersecurity? So that's why I go back to 
you know, culture is not what you say, it's what you do. And if you're doing it every day and you bring new people on, they don't know any different. They're going to be assimilated into this culture that really thinks it's important. But I think if you start there, then you can layer the technology and the software and all those great things on top of it, and you'll be so much more successful. Sure thing. So can you discuss the importance of IT with regard to your mission and the ways you modernize IT systems to keep pace with mission demands? And I'm curious about what some of the biggest challenges and successes you have in this area. Yeah, so um, I, I would say there's not a single mission that's executed in the United States Air Force that doesn't rely on the, the IT systems and networks that 16th Air Force provides. I mean, I could give you, whether it is a air superiority mission flown somewhere around the globe, an ISR mission being executed where the data is being pumped back to analysis center where they can build some critical product for a warfighter, logistics systems pushing critical components all over the planet, all the way down to literally getting my prescription for Zyrtec filled because I have allergies. None of that works without our IT capabilities. And we know how contested the internet is with adversaries and all kinds of activities happening out there. And the need to stay on par as far as technology is really important. I would say that we, we have made commitments under our current leadership in the Air Force, certainly, to make those, to do the right level of investment to make those changes. I think the challenge we have is, is the size of our enterprise and the complexity of our enterprise. And, uh, you know, we have so many different weapon systems and so much, we have so much different kinds of data. You know, we don't have a central data schema. It's so complex and sophisticated and diverse. It's very challenging to move forward in a, in a rapid way to upgrade and to modernize the technology. And there are efforts underway to do just that. And they show much promise. And, and frankly, we have an operational imperative to do that. And there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes right now to do exactly that. Uh, there, again, there are some examples I've talked about already on, on uh, initiatives to pull data from weapon systems and mission systems into our big data platform. That's a really important one that we continue to work on each and every day and then laying automation on top of that big data platform so that we can understand what's going on across our enterprise is really important. And then I would also say automation, whether it's it is uh, from a cybersecurity or cyber defense perspective, or frankly, any of the other mission areas we talked about earlier, whether it's ISR, information operations, offensive cyber, or all those kinds of things, automation is going to play a, a really critical role. And so our opportunity as a service to invest those things that only our service can provide, and in our partnership with Cybercom as the warfighting command and the combatant command that's responsible from a cyber perspective to bring all these things to bear. So that partnership's really important, and we're really excited about where it's going right now. 16th Air Force has two pilot programs to develop a zero-trust architecture. Is there an update on your deployment of those programs, and what are the key visibility and operational questions you have about zero-trust that you hope the pilot programs will address? I think I'll start with the last part of that question because it's really where I think I could add some value, which is I, I think with our pilots, what we seek to learn is, number one, we want to make sure the operational utility, in other words, 
they, they allow us to do the things that we need to be able to do. And then we learn from them from a cybersecurity perspective and that we can ensure that the implementation of our zero trust architecture doesn't introduce a new or unknown risk. It actually does what we want it to do basically, right? It provides us an enhanced security posture and, and, and you know, the whole, the whole foundation of zero trust is basically assuming you're operating in a contested environment. And we know that. And so we want to make sure with these pilots that we really leave no stone unturned. We want to make sure the architecture, the security policies, everything in place works as advertised. And then based on our understanding of the adversary, that they actually protect us from the adversary maneuver to get at us. That's really what these pilots are seeking to do. Do they work as advertised? Are the security mechanisms working as we thought they would? Or is there anything new we learn from it from a risk perspective or from an operations perspective? And then based on what we know about the adversary, is it doing what we hoped it would do and what we planned for it to do with regards to enhancing our, our posture against those adversary activities? That's really what they seek to do. I would just tell you, as far as an update, they continue to progress. We're learning a lot. We're staying very closely linked with Air Combat Command, our MAGCOM, Joint Force Headquarters Doden and U.S. Cyber Command, uh, because at the end of the day, General Nakasone would own that risk across all the DOD networks. And so it's always important that we learn quickly, we share, and we can make adjustments to the architecture. You know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say fail fast to learn, you know, because you don't want to fail. We, you, you certainly want to learn, uh, and you don't want to put missions at risk, but we, we must be agile in this endeavor. So not specifics, but certainly we're making really good progress. How do you hope a problem-centric enterprise approach will help the 16th Air Force better accomplish its mission? So we're already seeing that. You know, this is one where I wish I, I, wish I could give you some really, really good operational examples. But I, I would tell you, at least generically, that we, we've come from this place of everything's about a platform or a particular sensor or a particular activity. And there's a team of people all along the path behind that that do a thing, whether they produce a widget, they produce a product, and, and, it, and it worked really well. But what we see, especially as you, as you take a look globally, if you remember those combatant commands that we're aligned against, U.S. Strategic Command, which is a global command, U.S. Space Command, which frankly is a global command, but it's, it's uh, battle space extends up into space, right? And then U.S. European Command, when you think about the integration of those combatant commands as far as our responsibility, I mean, it is a massive, massive uh, mission space. And so our ability to see globally the threat and to focus on the root cause of the threat instead of the symptoms of the threat. Because when you look at it through stovepipes, you'll certainly see artifacts and impacts of an actor or a, or a set of actors. But it's like you're seeing, it's, if you could imagine a picture on a table and you're looking at it through a cloth and the cloth has holes cut out in it. So you're seeing parts of the picture. What, what problem-centric enterprise approach lets us do is to take the cloth off the picture. And we can use all of our assets and capability and understand the entire problem the root cause of the problem, and we're not siloed into our thinking or into our analysis. And whether it's bringing together ISR and information operations or weather or whatever it is, we can bring all those things to bear from a global perspective. 
that's where we think, and we have already seen in execution, this works really, really well. But I would tell you, we're not sitting on our laurels. We have to move faster. We have to be more agile in our integration, our synchronization. We have to really rely on partnerships. That's something I haven't talked about yet. So it's not just 16th Air Force in this endeavor. There are really great partners across the Department of Defense and, frankly, with, with the interagency. And so it's really important to, for all of us to holistically work together and to synchronize our activities, to be informed by each other's understanding of these problems, and to expose our understanding to our partners. And we can come up with a strategy that will be way more impactful against an adversary. So I have one more question for you before we finish up today. What does the 16th Air Force see as the top three most pressing cyber concerns, and how do you see your role in addressing them? Yeah, so I, I will tell you, I'll, I'll give you Brad Pyburn's uh, top three concerns today. And, and just to preface it, I mean, this, this is, uh, I've been blessed to serve in the Air Force for 30 years. I started as an enlisted airman developing software, uh, and I've been, I've been doing cyberspace operations for the last decade plus. And I would say there, there are three things that I worry about. One of them is I call it know thyself. It's really important that we understand where our data is resident and where it's going. We've talked about this already today, but the missions we execute are so reliant on the data. And, and we, we want to focus on technology and software and networks and things like that. But we have to understand where our data is, where it's going, where it needs to go. And that situational awareness is critically important. So to me, that is a pressing concern. Know thyself. Know your data, where, it, where, it, where it's going, where it's traversing. And this is where like those architectures, like a zero trust architecture and things like that we talked about earlier, are critically important. The second one I would talk about, you know, in the military, we talk about command relationships or ComRel. And the responsibilities across the ecosystem, and if you could imagine a weapon system, I'll just say weapon system X for generic purposes. We typically focus on the weapon system and maybe some of the data that it needs right at the point of departure, maybe on a flight line, and it takes off and it performs its mission. We have to think about, from a cybersecurity perspective, when there's a threat, there's a vulnerability that's been exploited. There's an adversary with intent and capability to, to hold us at risk. And, and we're seeing indications and warning, frankly, that they're doing that. We typically run to that weapon system, but, but look at the entire ecosystem. Clear defense contractor, program office, acquisition authority, sustainment, maintenance, and then operational activities. All that together is really important. Who's responsible for what part in that cybersecurity enterprise? When a patch gets released or a threat is identified, who does what? What are their responsibilities? What information do they share with each other? And I'm not talking about the data that may be part of a, a cyber incident or a vulnerability or a patch. I'm just talking about coordinating activities across that ecosystem so that you not only enhance your cybersecurity posture against that threat, but that you can still execute your mission, that you didn't have fratricide against yourself. And then the third one, we've already talked about it, and it's the culture. And I would just say it like this. If commanders make it their business, it's everybody's business. And that's the approach that we've got to take. And we have, we have examples in the Air Force that are really powerful and really good. And then we have some work to do in some other places. 
And so to me, those are the three big things. So it wasn't a specific technology or anything like that. It is knowing yourself and understanding your, your data and your architecture, the responsibilities you have across your ecosystem. Everybody understands their responsibility, and there's an accountable mechanism to drive that, and then the culture piece. Great. Well, I don't have any more questions for you this afternoon. Are there any last words that you'd like to leave with us before we finish up? I would just say really enjoy talking to you today. Uh, really proud of the work 16th Air Force has done. We have absolutely amazing airmen and civilians that do just amazing missions each and every day, and I'm just proud to represent them. And uh, I wish I could tell you more about some of the great things they're doing, but uh, really proud of the team, and, and thanks for the chance to talk to you today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me with this conversation today. You bet. Understanding where the data is, investing in culture, and knowing thyself are Pyburn's three keys to cyber success at the Air Force. As cyber attacks against U.S. organizations ramp up due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the role of the 16th Air Force is increasingly critical for protecting the homeland from foreign cyber threats and deliberate misinformation. The 16th Air Force is also key for hitting back at malicious cyber actors. On March 11th, after recording this interview, the Department of the Air Force reassigned Pyburn as Chief of Staff of U.S. Cyber Command. To get deep analysis and insider perspectives on what's trending in federal cybersecurity, subscribe to and follow CyberCast and visit our website, at governmentciomedia.com. I'm your host, Kate Macri. Thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform, and if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.